0: What's up, everybody? I hope you are as excited as I am as we move into our second week of teaching in our Explore God series. And let me just begin with a warm welcome to all of you, but especially, especially to those of you who may be our first-time guests, a family member, a friend, invited you to perhaps come to our San Jose campus. Welcome. Or uh, maybe you ran across a link uh, in social media and said, you want to check out this series that's talking about Explore God. Welcome, as those of you who are watching, along with everyone else that's watching online. I'm so excited. Now, listen, let's jump right in. We're going to be talking about is there a God? If there's somebody sitting next to you, can you just turn to them and just ask the question, do you think there's a God? Is there a God? That's what we're going to wrestle with today. Let's jump right into our scripture reading. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. The Apostle Paul is writing, and here's what he says For since the creation of the world, God's invisible uh, qualities, meaning his eternal power and his divine nature, has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And there ends the reading. Whether you are a person of faith for the last 30, 40, 50 years, or whether you don't consider yourself a person of faith at all, or whether you're somewhere in between, let me just say again welcome. Together, can you say together? Together, we're on this journey over the course of the next several years, next several weeks, rather, exploring life's big questions. Last week, we started by looking at does life have a purpose? If you missed that message, since these messages all tie together, please just go to our website and uh, you can pick that message up. I encourage you to check it out. And if it's a blessing to you, share it with family and friends. Today, we're going to look at is there a God? And then next week, check this out. We're going to look at why does God allow pain and suffering? So again, check out our website, catch up on the message that you missed. One of the reasons that I'm super excited about engaging in this series is because we're not doing this alone. We're doing this in partnership with 175 churches and Christian organizations from Santa Rosa all the way down to Santa Cruz. We've got, we have discussion groups, Explore God discussion groups. Check, check it out on three university campuses, at least three that I know about, San Francisco State University, UC Berkeley, and Stanford. NBCC, our own congregation, both virtually and in person, we have 176 discussion groups at, at bay, working across the bay, Uh, locally and vis-a-vis virtually. That's awesome. My goodness. So here's my challenge to you. Join the discussion. There's two ways that you can join the discussion. One way is to simply form your own discussion group. You go to our website. We have all the information there to help you to do that. And all I'm suggesting is you reach out to Two, three, four, five of your family, friend members, send them the questions and say, hey, do you want to do this journey process through these questions with me? We'll have a discussion group during the week and we'll check out either virtually or in person to teaching uh, week after week after week. And I suspect you'll be as surprised as my wife and I was when we made the offer. Secondly, you can simply join a group. Either option is available at our website, so I want to include you, I encourage you to please do that. I just want to say uh, very clearly that it is our hope and expectation that these groups are safe places. There's no arm twisting. There's no manipulation. There's no trying to force people to believe one thing or the other. We're simply sharing our stories and our experiences, and we're praying and trusting that God will definitely, definitely show up in very transformative ways. Both the discussion groups and the teaching is from the Christian perspective. But we hope the Christian perspective enters into dialogue with all the other perspectives that are engaged. Cool? Let's jump into our teaching today. All right. Here's the question. Is there a God? You know, as a student at Graham State University, I ended up being a double major, philosophy and history. And when I walked into my philosophy class for the very first time, midway through, we took up this whole question of God. Dr. Raritan, who became Uh, my advisor and was the head of the department, said something that felt very offensive initially. He said that the whole question about God's existence is a meaningless question. Then he went on to explain, because I was really tripped out when he said that, that he wasn't really talking about, uh, you know, lived experience around whether or not God exists or not. That wasn't his point. Of course, that's important. His point had to do with it from a philosophical standpoint. He essentially said this. The existence of God cannot be definitively proven. Nor can the existence of God be definitively disproven. I begin this teaching today from that posture. We cannot definitively prove or disprove the existence of God. But I want to suggest to you, if you're open to it, if you walk with me, that there are some clues and some hints that strongly argue for the existence of God. And if you're really, really open, you might discover that, you're, that while you can't prove the existence of God, I believe that God can be experienced. All right? So let's get busy and walk through <clears throat> our teaching today. So let me first ask for two things that relates to your mindset uh, as you walk with me through today's teaching. The first is I want to encourage you to choose if, in fact, you're approaching this with doubt. I want you to choose open doubt over closed doubt. Closed doubt is the person who says, I don't care what you say or show me. Whatever I experience or don't experience, I'm not believing in God. I'm challenging and encouraging all of us, if in fact we're approaching this with doubt, to do it with open doubt. You know, after Jesus' resurrection, he showed up physically in the room with 10 out of the 11 disciples that was left in that season. They were blown over. This was Jesus physically with them. Later on, the other disciple, Thomas, came and joined them. They said, we have seen the Lord. He's alive. Thomas responds, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'm not believing that unless, can you say unless, unless I see him personally and put my hands in the wounds that were created by his crucifixion. Unless is the operative word there because what Thomas was saying was he's not close. He's saying, if it's possible for me to experience God in a way that I can get it, I'm open. I want you to be in the same place as we go through this message today. Can you simply say, I'm open? Praise God. Here's the second frame of mind that I want you to be thinking about. If God exists, then the, writers of Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs 16 4 is correct. That God has made everything. Can you say everything? Everything. Uh, for his own purposes. That means that when you look around creation and look at your life, et cetera, et cetera, it all has God's purpose attached to it. But if God doesn't exist, that means everything, including you and me, we're all the byproduct of what I call a cosmic accident. So as we work through today's message, the question that you have to keep going back and forth asking, as a matter of fact, whenever you consider whether God exists or not, really the question that you're moving back and forth between is, is everything I'm experiencing, is it simply the byproduct of an accident? Or does it strongly suggest God exists? Accident or God? That's the question that we're confronting with today. All right. Clues and hints that points us in the right direction. Let's revisit our passage uh, uh, that we read. But first, let me just name the first clue. Design. Can you say design? Design. Let's reread what Paul says. He says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, which include his eternal power and his divine nature, has been clearly seen being understood from what? from what has been made, created. Well, Paul is saying is that when we look around at the world and look at how the world is designed around us, there's a multitude of evidence that suggests that God exists. Well, the apostle Paul is not by himself. Albert Einstein, theoretical phys- physicist, we all have heard of Albert Einstein. He revolutionized physics in the 20th century, uh, gave us... Uh, Uh, the foundation for everything that we think about in terms of physics today. Here's what he said. The more I study science, the more I believe in God. What he's essentially saying is this. Uh, The more he observed from a scientific perspective various aspects of creation, whether it's the universe, the human body, he concludes, what's the likelihood? Is it the byproduct of accident?" are the byproduct of God. And he's saying the design that he's seeing all around suggests to him it can't be an accident. Well, here's an interesting thing. Over the last 30 to 40 years, here in America at least, when you ask people whether or not they believe in God, God, the number of people who believe in God have been kind of slowly decreasing. During the same period of time, as scientific exploration and development has advanced, the number of scientists who believe in God are increasing. is increasing. Isn't that a trip? More and more scientists are believing in God. They're taking the posture of Albert Einstein. The more I dive into science, the more I believe. Here's an example. Dr. Paul Davies, he's a theoretical physicist. And here's what he wrote, interestingly enough. He says, the laws of physics seem themselves to be the product of increasingly ingenious design. He's saying, the more I study, the more I figure this out. There is for me powerful, powerful evidence that there's something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's chambers to make the universe. The impression of design is just overwhelming. What he's saying is when I think and look at the universe and its chambers, another word for chambers are uh, scientists sometimes refer to as the constants. He's talking about things like gravity and the magnetic force and, and the speed of light, all the things that make it possible for the universe to exist. He's saying, had these chambers been calibrated just a little, you know, differently, the universe would have never come into being. Stars and planets and atoms And the conditions for life would have never happened. Scientists also say that had they been calibrated, you know, the opposite direction, just a little bit more than where they were, the universe would have come into being, but it would have simply imploded. Or calibrated differently, it would have stretched and pulled apart. The chambers are calibrated perfectly. (laughs) Dr. Paul says Accident? What's the probability? Got to be God. Now, here's what I find fascinating about Mr. Anthony Flew. He's a British philosopher who died in 2010, but for 50 years, uh, he was a leading not only philosopher, but, but atheist and um, talked all over the world. And here's what he often said. We must follow the evidence wherever it leads. And he would always argue, and the evidence leads to there is no God. Then came 2003. In 2003, as you might recall, the human genome was mapped. And suddenly the entire world learned, you know, exponentially more about uh, chromosomes and genes and DNA than we ever knew before. One of the fascinating things about it, the very heart of DNA. Is that these nucleotides? I believe they're called, uh, which is really identified by four letters: A, C, G, T. Uh, these nucleotides band together in what they call base pairs, up to about three billion in the human body. And at the very heart of it are these codes that has, that give instructions to every aspect of your human anatomy. More powerful than the most powerful uh, computer code that we have in the world because it generates the human body. Here's what Mr. Flew said. Came out in the AP in about 2004. It says, wow, the world-famous atheist has changed his mind. Here's what he said after discovering what I've talked about. How can a universe of mindless matter produce beings with code? Here we are dealing with an entirely different category of the problem. These genetic instructions that are embedded have specific meaning and are effective only in an environment capable of interpreting the code, which is the environment which we find them in in the human body. Wow. All together, these scientists suggest to us what Scripture says to us that we can look at God's creation and see the multitude of design that is sophisticated and incredible, and it points us to the existence of God. When the question is asked, accident or God, it takes more faith to believe in an accident than it does to believe in God. The second clue is morality. This is a real fascinating point as it relates to morality. Here's the deal. Check this out. Every human being, everywhere, can you say everywhere? Everywhere has an innate sense of right and wrong. An innate sense of fairness and unfairness. I mean, you can almost hear the little girl, five-year-old, on the playground in Dallas, Texas, crying out, "Uh, that's not fair. And that cry is replicated by children all over the world, from South Korea to Argentina to El Salvador to Nigeria. The same notion Early in our life of what's fair and what's not fair, what's just and what's unjust. And while we may debate about what specifically should be labeled right and wrong, we all function with these categories. Here's the question. Why? Why? Here's what Scripture tells us. Because God has built a moral code into our genetics, into who we are. Listen to what the text says. Even Gentiles, as people other than Jews, Jews, and he's writing to a community made of Jews and non-Jews that constituted a Christian community in Rome. He says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law like the Jewish people do did and does, show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written where? In their hearts for their own what? Consciousness and thoughts. Either accuse them, in other words, they they, they feel like they've done something wrong, or tell them they're doing right. Wow. Here's how Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. describes this phenomena, talks about it, teaches about it. It's one of my favorite quotes, which I just discovered recently, (laughs) and that's saying a lot because I love Dr. King. Here's what he says. Some things are right and some things are wrong. Eternally so, absolutely so. You see, it's wrong to hate. It always has been wrong and it always will be wrong. It's wrong in America, it's wrong in Germany, it's wrong in Russia, it's wrong in China. It was wrong in 2000 B.C., and it's wrong in 1954 A.D., which is when the year he was giving his speech. It always has been wrong, it always will be wrong. Some things in this universe are absolute. The God of the universe has made it so. He's built us that so, one clue that points towards God, design. Another clue that points towards God, the internal moral code that we all seem to have. The third clue that points towards God, beauty. Can you say beauty? Beauty, you know. Have you ever had an incredible meal and you just have to sit back and close your eyes and the experience is sublime? Ever heard music, maybe it's symphony, rap, R&B. But what it does as you listen to it, as it translates internally, moves you to tears. Beauty. I remember it was five years before Ron and I had an opportunity to take a, a, a honeymoon. And I'm thinking about this, even as we continue to pray for the people and the rebuilding of Mali, we went to the Hawaiian island of Mali for our honeymoon in the fifth year. I'll never forget standing on the beach and seeing the beauty of the set. As you stood there, you had the sense of something transcended beyond you. The same thing happened when our family visited the Grand Canyon looking out of the vastness of the Grand Canyon, it almost called forth a consciousness of something greater that was real and alive and in tune. I've even heard people who are atheists say that when they stand at the Grand Canyon, uh, uh, they experience uh, nature and the beauty of nature. They don't often talk about it, but they feel exactly the same Here's what the psalmist tells us. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display the craftsmanship of God. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make God known. What are the heavens, the stars, and and the beauty of the environment? What are they saying in their unspoken words? They're saying, give praise to the God of the universe, that he's full of power, he's full of glory, and he's worthy of praise. That's what the psalmist says. So one clue that points towards the existence of God is design. It's all around us in creation. Another clue is morality, built into seemingly our own code, biology, psyche. The third is beauty that pulls us into an awareness of transcendence. The fourth, I call experience your experience, my experience, specifically the unexplainable that keeps showing up in your story. In your small group discussion times over the weeks, I really do hope that you're not just talking intellectually. I hope you're sharing with one another your story. I hope you're mining and exploring your stories to perhaps determine where God is in your stories. Let me tell you three quick stories as we wrap this up. That points to, undeniably from my perspective, the reality of God. Last weekend, I was preparing the very first message of this series uh, entitled, uh, What's My Purpose? And I came to Ephesians 2.10. Here it is. For we are God's hand that we're created in Christ Jesus to do Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it's often the case when you're preaching. You're trying to figure out how much do you put into the message and how much do you pull out of the message. This particular passage, Ephesians 2.10, I put it in the notes to leave in the message. Then I pulled it out. Then I put it back in. (laughs) It's is reality. Then I pulled it out. I decided I'm going to leave it out. At about 3 o'clock, I got a text on my phone. And here's the text. It came from Jamel, who is our director of uh, discipleship and life groups here. And the text simply—you see it—simply said, "Ephesians 2:10." I was shocked. <laughs> I called Jamel immediately. I said, "Jamel, is this an accident? Did you intend to send me this text?" She said, "Yes, I, I intended to send it." I said, "What happened? What? Why?" She said, well, you know, I kind of felt a little weird about it. She said, I just felt like God kept telling me throughout the day to send you this text, Ephesians 2.10. So finally I decided to do it. And I said, God, do I need to put a little note with it? The context? And my sense from God was, no, just send the text. And so I sent it. And that was God's clear confirmation. Leave it in. But even more so, let me ask you, what was that? Accident? or God. Let me tell you another story. Uh, If you've been around, you've heard this before. I just want to revisit it one more time. For an entire week at Graham State University, I was praying Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, Friday morning. God, if you're calling me to preach, confirm it. I just need to know that I know. Sensing nothing from God, I jumped in my car, drove Three and a half hours, pulled into a little town to get some gas. On my way out of the gas station, a young man came walking behind me. and turned around. He got my attention. And he said, excuse me, sir. First of all, I'm not even from here. I'm passing through, headed to Texas. I'm with a ministry team. Secondly, are you a Christian? Yes. He said, well, perhaps this will make sense. He says, when you walked out of the filling station, out of the store, the Lord spoke to me and told me to tell you he's calling you to preach his word. Now, what are the odds and the probability that we would land in the same place at the same time? Come on now. He's passing through the state of Louisiana. Let me ask you. Accident or God? Let me tell you one more story. It's about my wife, Rhonda. As you may know, my amazing wife, Rhonda, we've been married for 37 years. She's a doctor, fantastic doctor, leading a whole uh, department, all that stuff. She's She's amazing. She's amazing. Doctor, physician, leader. But at 14 years old, 13 years old, I should say, she said to the Lord, hey, I'm going to commit my heart to you. And whatever you ask me to do, as long as I know it's you asking me, I'll do it. Fast forward on the flight to Grand State University. Some of you have heard this. The Lord spoke to her and said, you're going to meet your husband on the first day. And in fact, we did have a meeting on the first day. Eleven months later, we were married. Fast forward. Five years later, roughly or so. Not heard from the Lord. Here she is about to uh, finish up a master's degree in English literature. There's a job offer at University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff on the table where she'll be teaching full-time and put on a track to become uh, the department chair of English. She's one semester away. She had been teaching for that last year, students. And the Lord spoke to her. I'm calling you to be a doctor." It was so out of the blue and so outrageously weird in the sense that she's never thought about being a doctor. She's like, this can't be God. But it kept coming back to her. Finally, one day in the mall, she says, a few days later, she was walking in the mall, and she saw a young African-American woman who had a beautiful head of braids, and she'd been wanting some braids. She walked over to the young woman and said, listen, your braids are awesome. Who does your braids? And the young woman pulled out something, wrote down the name and the number of the person that did the braid. They didn't even exchange names. And Rhonda went on. That night, Rhonda says that the, she felt the Lord say to her, don't make that call. She thought that was the weirdest thing. But why would God be concerned about braids? The next morning she got up, she heard the Lord, since the Lord saying to her again, don't make the call. She said she was brushing her teeth, thinking about why would God say, don't, 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 get braids when the phone rang. It was back in the day when you used to have those uh answer machines, you know, and 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 the phone would ring and she didn't answer, and so it goes into the machine, and you know, you can screen your calls, and so she heard the voice, and the voice on the other side says, uh, Miss Ronald, you don't know me, but we met yesterday in the mall, and and uh and and I'm I'm calling you to tell you. And she ran and grabbed the phone, rounded in, and answered and said, hello, hello. How did you get my number? And the woman on the other side, her name is Camaro. They now have been friends for 30 some years. Uh, but, but Camaro said at that time, she says, well, this is going to sound a little weird. But God woke me up this morning and said that I needed to call you and tell you not to call my hairdresser. Turns out that the hairdresser was dating somebody very, very abusive and some horrible stuff had happened, et cetera, et cetera. And the Lord told me to go back to her, to her job. She worked for a podiatrist, her dad. And she remembered that Rhonda had come through a year earlier. She went through the Rolodex, found Rhonda's name and number, and called her to say that God is saying, don't make the call. Accident or God? The next day, God, Rhonda's still wrestling. Do you really want me to be a doctor? This doesn't make any sense. So she says, she's sweeping, and the Lord says to her, or rather that night, the Lord says to her, here's what I want you to do. Now, this is specific God and Rhonda. This is not something that you should go out and do. <laughs> but the Lord said to her, I want you to take a piece of paper, tear it up into 10 pieces. I want you to write yes on one and no on all the others. I want you to ball them all up. I want you to turn your back towards the bed. I want you to throw it back, and here's what's going to happen. One piece is going to land on the bed. All the others are not going to land on the bed. Trust me. Rhonda did it. She turned around. All the pieces fell off the bed except for one. The Lord had said, when you open it, it will say yes. She opened it, and it said yes. She said, God, oh my. She said, okay, God, I know, I know, but, I, I, but to be a doctor? She still wasn't convinced. Can you believe that? This is like a lot of us, right? When it comes to God, I'm still not convinced. Some of you are listening to this story, and you're still not convinced. And and I ask you, accident or God? The next day, she said, she's sweeping, and she sensed that God was saying to her, I'm going to give you one more chance. And after that, I won't say anything else. I'm calling you to. To be a doctor. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn on the TV. Jeopardy is going to be on, and if the final Jeopardy question has anything to do with medicine, that's my final confirmation. Rhonda looked at the time. It was time for Jeopardy. She turned the TV on, and just in time to hear Alex Trebek say, "We'll be right back with the final Jeopardy question." Rhonda <laughs> sits on the edge of the bed. They come back. And Alice Trebek says, the final Jeopardy! question category is medical history. So let me ask. Accident? God. Rhonda said yes. And today she's an amazing doctor. Wow. I know some of you are saying, We've never had these kinds of experiences that happen in our lives, and, 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 and why you guys are not us, well, I've got two things to say. One, I, I'm assuming that part of the reason why God was moved so dramatically in my life and in Rhonda's life, and, and, and most recently, even through Jamel, is so that, this day could come and I could share these stories with you. And I've shared these stories over the years. And Rhonda has shared these stories for one purpose and one purpose alone. For you to believe that this creation, that your life, that everything that we is not an accident. God exists. God exists and, 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 and wants to be a part of your life. You know, Pascal, the 17th century um, a uh, 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 mathematician and philosopher, he said this, there's a hole in the heart of every person that's in the shape of God and only God can feel it. And I say that's true. But I also say this, there's a hole in the heart of God For every individual on the planet, he has a hole in his heart, and it is in the shape of you, and only you can fill it. And this God is anxious about revealing himself to you. And every now and then, he'll pick a few folk like me and Rhonda and move so dramatically in our lives that our life experience can be the message to you, God exists. Let me conclude here. While you may not have had these dramatic experiences, I promise you, you are experiencing God every single day. You know, when my grandmother used to cook, she, used to, she, she would say, I'm going to drop a hint. I'm Back to this word, hint. Say hint. I'm going to drop a hint of cinnamon in her tea cakes now. Or I'm going to drop a hint of salt. And when she dropped a hint of salt, what she, what she means is that when you taste it, you're going to get a sense of the salt, of the cinnamon, just a little bit of what is an awesome reality beyond what you're eating. Can you say hint? I want to suggest to you, when you look around at your life and, the world and you see design worked all around, it is not just a clue. It is a hint. It is a small portion of an experience of a bigger God. They tell me that your heart, if you live from being a baby to uh, 70 years old, that your heart beats quietly 2.8 billion times. And I want to say to you that every single beat is an expression of the power of God working in your life. It is the experience of God. Every time you inhale and exhale, it is an expression of the power of God the divine power of God working in your life. Oh my goodness, morality, every time you move to speak up for right, every time you feel like you need to march for justice, every time you see something in the news and you go, that's not fair. That is a reminder that God has shaped you out of his own heart. And what breaks his heart breaks your heart. You are experiencing a dimension of God in your life. Every time you see the beauty of a flower, a mountain, and it moves you, it is a reminder that the God who lives beyond all time and space, come on now, is also present in the reality around you, and you are experiencing a hint of God. I dare say that as you start looking throughout your life, you will find the unexplainable experiences, the car accident that should have taken you out. The, the, if you had showed up five minutes later, you would have missed your significant other, other person that you've fallen in love with. All of these unexplainable experiences, I submit to you, that's God. That is the experience of God working in your But you've got to perceive it to receive it. No definitive proof, but the clue, the hints. You're swimming in the reality, the experience. Oh, yeah. God exists. And that God made you to be loved by him and to love you. I offer this for your consideration. Amen. Oh, one thing, I can hear you say, well, if this loving God exists, how do we account for such pain and suffering next week? See you then.